0: Welcome to the Knock on Archery podcast, where we bring all archers and bow hunters together from all walks of life with the goal to educate, empower, and inspire you to be better both in the field and on the range. All right, knock on everybody, new knock on podcast, and I've got my good buddy, Mike Slinkard. I always like, it's like a tradition for us. Spring kicks it off, doesn't it? Seems like it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's March or April, we usually get together and uh, hey, catch up a little bit.
0: I just got that top right there too, by the way, it's pretty awesome. That, that thing's going to be good in the blind for me yeah they really are they, this hooded
1: shirt thing has been I mean, a lot of people really like it i like it all the time it's got this this built-in face cover and of course the hood and all that stuff and and uh you know hex all the way through and it's just basically a, a kind of lightweight hoodie but man it's about all i wear hunting i've got you know camel ones and this this regular ones as well so uh it have been a big hit for us
0: <laughs> i'm like i'm i've turned into a customer on this podcast sorry everybody i have one more question for mike do you have <laughs> do you have gloves in a solid yet? Uh, no, <laughs> I do have I do have gloves, but we're not we're not doing them in a solid. We did
1: uh, you know when it very first came out, we did them in a black uh, for a while, and actually when we did the camo, they sold so much better that we really had not put them back out in a solid. However, with the wildlife line, we probably are going to have to do that. So
0: yeah, uh, even that drab green, you know, the mm-hmm. drab. Either one of those two greens would totally be perfect. For, yeah, yeah perfect. and we
1: actually probably have some fabric to do that out of actually now i'm thinking about it but uh yeah maybe we'll uh we'll do that But we'll, It we'll work definitely with the wildlife line and of course you know in a blind or anything like that
0: you know? hey do you feel like um do you feel like with the uh... If you're wearing that built-in hoodie, do you think you still need the full hood for turkeys, or can you? Uh, not at all.
1: No, nope, not at all. Matter of fact, what I do is I just put the hood itself up, yeah, and, and then you kind of got the whole coverage and everything like that. Um, but uh, what's nice about this, I mean, you can just throw that up and down, and, and yeah. you know it's kind of not have to be up all the time. You just put it up kind of when you need it and, and all that. But uh, well but yeah, if you put the hood up, I mean, you got the same coverage pretty much as you would with hood anyway.
0: Our spring turkeys opens Monday. So uh and as <laughs> as much as I wanna shoot one again out of a chair with my hex, it's gonna be freaking twenty-seven degrees opening day. <laughs> I mean oh. so my options are either I'm gonna be sitting in my chair in a fanatic suit <laughs> looking like a like a big like uh the kid from Christmas Story <laughs> sitting out there waiting on a turkey to come, you know, strutting Damn. up with frostbite on his feet. Or, yeah, or I'm going <laughs> to take a heater into my muddy blind and... <laughs> Just be a real oh, man. loser you, in there.
1: <laughs> your, your 20 year old self would kick your ass on that one,
0: buddy. It totally <laughs> would. Totally would. I, no I don't
1: blame you, though, too. Our starts on the 15th, uh, you know, so it's coming right up. And it was 75 degrees here yesterday. We were out scouting. We had birds gobbling everywhere. I mean, it was nuts. And uh, opening day is supposed to be chance of snow and wind yeah, and man. all kinds of stuff. So uh, it's springtime, I guess.
0: You know, I actually, uh, I really like hunting turkeys, uh, in the snow, to be honest with you. Um, I've done it a few times here in Iowa during the opening week, but I've also, uh, had, uh, some really cool hunts in Nebraska and South Dakota during the openers where it was snow. And, uh, well, one, (laughs) one story is horrible. I don't know if I've ever told you this one, uh, my really good buddy uh Justin Hackett, him and I went out and we scouted this whole area and we found turkeys um and they were all roosted in the exact same like hundred yard stretch of this of this ridge. And it and and honestly they were all pitching down and going straight to like this cow lot. And I think they were just picking around in the cow manure. Yeah, so, so honestly, there the choice was either we put the blind just inside of the the non cattle pasture, which anyone who's owned a blind and and put it in a cattle pasture knows <laughs> that that's probably the smartest play, or put it in the cattle pasture and literally be like, I mean, like a a rat turd in a sugar bowl just sitting out there, you know. And if they don't go to through crap all day then you're just sitting out there like idiots and you can't do anything so we went just inside the fence and we could tell that they were roosting somewhat close so anyway i go out we're in this small little town where uh food was limited and there was a a, a local bar that also had food and it was like Friday night. So they had, you know how some of the Western, I mean, you know, you're from there. So, you know, like Friday, Saturdays, you can normally get some chow. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, me being like the clean eater of the crew, I order, I order a steak and I tried to order vegetables and they said, we have steak and fries or a baked potato. And, And they, and I said, do you have anything green? And they go, well, we have a salad bar in the back. So I was the only one to go back there and go through the salad bar. And the dressing, I kind of questioned the dressing, like, (laughs) has this been kept cold? And, you know, it kind of looked like sketchy tuna fish at Subway when they, like, take the scoop, Mm. but it's like a different color. (laughs) and i'm just like i I know where this story's going but anyway go ahead yeah i freaking i did it dude i just dipped down in there and next thing i know we are uh well i shouldn't say we i am at the hotel bent over just in the sweats just puking my guts out till like I mean I don't even know and it triggered one of my migraines so I'm just like I am hurting I'm like stripped down to my undies sweating and Justin's just looking at me like he'd wake up every now and then when he'd hear me heaving and he'd just be like dang bro are you all right and I'm like yeah I'll be okay I just hope it goes away and like meanwhile I'm looking at my watch like three forty-five, alarms going off and we're gonna have to you know pack up, drive out to this place, walk across, which we do, and I'm I'm hurting. He's like, you know, the whole time he's like, dude, you know, are you sure you want to come? And I'm like, I said, you know, I might, I'm if I'm sick, I might as well be sick in the blind. So I went in the blind, and this is actually the shot that was, uh, I think I called it the Tom Stone. Um So we're sitting in there, and as we're in the blind, like, it's pitch black pitch black and we're waiting for daylight and i'm just hurting i'm just like bent over there (laughs) and you know just like i think i think i was like kind of gagging a few times but nothing came up you know and then i could i definitely could hear something like hitting the blind you know and i didn't really know what it was and then all of a sudden it just got light enough to where one turkey gobbled, and then it was a gobble for like two minutes. There, there was I would say a hundred birds, literally straight above the blind. What I was hearing hit the blind was craps. Craps. There was like <laughs> there, like there Dude. was so many gobbles that I mean we were like afraid to do anything. We kind of like slid the window down really small, and I'm like looking up in the skyline, and I'm like. There's so many black balls up there. <laughs> I'm like, they're right here. And honestly, they were, I felt like they were so close that they weren't even going to be able to, uh, to like, I felt like when they pitched out, they were just going to be too far. Yeah, because they were just right there. So I'm sitting in there fighting this back. And we'd flipped for who got to shoot first because both of us had multiple tags. So I'm first up. And all of a sudden, like, I kind of, like, made one little yelp, and I just heard, like, like that. And I look out the window, and a gobbler just literally, like, opened his wings and just went, like, and he was just (laughs) sitting. He was, like, literally just sitting there in a ball, like, right next to the decoy, and I'm, like, screw it. So, actually, I think before that, I could be wrong, but I think right prior to that, I actually had like a big like lurch. And so I was just like, and I, and, and I like pushed the side. I think I pulled the side window down just, or I might've lifted it up. And I'm just like, <laughs> I mean, it just funneled out, like stand by me and, oh my, gosh. and my, my Ralph set off the gobbles so <laughs> so when i learned dude they they were all goblin and it was so loud and i'm going like Urgh! and they're going bah, 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 uh. and so then all of a sudden i hear like and like one just dropped right into the decoys so i just like grabbed my bow i'm like are you on him didn't even milk it or nothing i pull back and shot and it, the the arrow hit him, and he literally, like, jumped up and was stiff. By the time he hit the top of his jump, he was stiff and then just, like, came down, like, solid. Like, it just oh, yeah. it stoned him. Like, uh-huh. and I just called it the tombstone because he jumped up and then just, like, laid down in his grave. Boom. And mm-hmm. so once that happened, then uh, I go, dude, I'm sorry, but I've, I'm like, it's coming out the other end. So, so I got up and like backed up the, the side door of this bail blind and just freaking Dorothy Lynch or whatever kind of salad dressing. that freaking (laughs) killed me. Just, just freaking painted everything around this blind. And he's just sitting there like, Dude, and and meanwhile, another turkey comes down that he's, like, getting ready to, like, you know, that turkey's strutting, and it's out there, like, 45 yards, like, strutting around wearing this blind, and I'm trying to be really quiet and just hurting, And, uh, and luckily, like, the window was, like, facing towards that cow lot, so they, you know, the turkey, and the gobbling and the yelping was so loud. Mm-hmm. Because every, I mean, I'm kid. I'm not kidding. They were in a winter phase where they were all together, you know? Right. And um, so then after I totally, like, was flushed naturally all of a sudden I'm like dude I apologize but I gotta pee so bad now because it like triggered something and you know there was like so much that came out everywhere that it's just like hey there's one more spot so yeah. I just freaking peed in the blind and it was snow and so there's just this steam like and I've got like a have <laughs> got a green headlamp and it looks like we're in a piss sauna and there's yeah. like and it's his blind and he's like like he's taking it really well well because he knows i mean it sounds funny now but i was so miserable i had like i had really bad food poisoning and he's just sitting there like trying to stay quiet and then i finally go okay i'm ready and i got on that bird and then he shot that bird so we we were able to get a double but like when all when all the i shouldn't say dust settled because it was it was a it was a disaster uh he's just like Dude, do you want to buy this blind for me? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna throw in the dumpster. right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I go, yeah. I owe you no. that. Yeah. No. It, it it was uh it was horrible, but you know, hey, that was also a hex moment. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that's was not looking around. Uh, more, yeah. We'll tur- <laughs> probably not put that one on the
1: website. Just saying, John. I just hope we still have somebody that's still listening to the podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know um caleb uh, caleb pretty much uh tells me he's like if i sit with you long enough i'm gonna hear a crap story <laughs> and the truth <laughs> is i think if you're in the woods enough and on the road enough those things happen you know they, they do they do they, yeah. they do so yeah yeah
1: the uh the, the uh yeah. yeah, issues in the woods that way happen more often than we're ever going to admit and there's a reason <laughs> we don't admit them but they happen they really do <laughs> I one one time I shot a out, kind of the same kind of thing back in my misfit youth I call it I was been out uh, probably probably partying a little bit more than I should have been and Dad and I were out hunting and he calls this freaking bull in and, and actually he came in quiet and my like, side so was doing the kind of I wasn't throwing up but I was doing the other thing and, <laughs> and this bull came in and I just grabbed my bow actually shot the bull and, <laughs> while I was kind of there so yeah. <laughs> anyway. And that's a story I never told anybody either. And so I'm not going to tell it again. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, first,
0: the first thing that I actually wanted to talk about on this podcast was your your uh, coastal hunt. Oh, yeah. Honestly, and I mean, did that go as planned or was that oh, a shitty God. subject too? <laughs> no, that one actually was a good one. That one, uh,
1: that one was, uh, you couldn't have planned one any better, actually. That one was uh the the you know the brown bears one that that's kind of a bucket lister for me i love hunting bears anyway and they're the biggest that there are pretty much and it started all the way back in 2018. Um, I was at Safari Club and, and was talking to Preston Kavner, uh, Preston the, the Kavner and Julian is the name of the outfitter. And I did quite a bit of research on where to go. And because to me, I know so many bow hunters that go multiple times. And you know, those brown bears is just not something that, that you're just going to go out there and knock one over with a bow every time you go. Yeah. So um, you know, and they're fairly expensive too. So my one of my goals was I wanted to go somewhere where I had the best opportunity to get one on the first trip, number one. But I also wanted to go where I had an opportunity to get you know the real giants because they they do vary you know in size depending on where you're at. So, uh, uh, Preston was way out on the peninsula, uh, you know, further out than Kodiak even. And uh, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, the uh, the current world record was actually killed there uh, or very very close to there in 2018. So yeah, uh, that's why I did the other part. He actually had a boat. Based, uh camp so we were able to, to basically hunt out of boats and we were traveling like miles and miles of beach so we we're just watching those that you know that beach line and that's where those bears were coming down they were breeding right then too so you see a lot of multiples and that kind of thing and of course most of the groceries are on the right on the, on the uh, you know on the ocean line. So uh, yeah, I mean it it couldn't wait any better. We probably saw thirty bears, um, and the very opening morning we had seen a couple of bears that had went uh, kind of got off the beach and went up the hill. We were going to go around and just kind of come back and check to see if they come back later. And I'm going along, and and I see this thing on the beach. And I mean it's literally 120 yards away, maybe, kind of brown looking, and I'm looking at it in my binoculars. And Preston's beside me. He's not saying nothing. So I'm thinking, well, God, it must be driftwood or something. And we keep going. We keep going. Pretty quick, I can see, like, a tail. And pretty quick, I can see freaking ears. And, I'm, <laughs> and I said, Preston, is that a bear? And he looks. Oh, my God. He said, then he was asleep on a sea lion. Um, <laughs> at the time, we actually thought it was a whale. But, you know, we could tell it was something that had washed up on the beach. But he was covering this whole thing. It looked At the time, it looked like a piece of white driftwood. And, uh, and he was sound asleep. And so... <laughs> there's a, a, uh, kind of a gentle lamb that came out and, and he's like this and all we had to do is go around and the ocean went back behind. So, I mean, it's a perfect spot. I mean, you couldn't have made a better place to, to have a bear at. Anyway, we go around and it probably didn't take us 10 minutes to pop up on top right above him. And, uh, the problem was that the wind got squirrely on us on the way up and I was a little worried, but you know, it was my first ever stalk on a brown bear ever. And, uh, but we popped up and he, he caught our wind and took off there was a red fox that was still there on it but uh but uh, uh you know, he took off on us but you know at that point we kind of you know we had something that we knew he was going to be on so we had a place to look right and it, you know and so he kind of became the focus of our hunt um and uh we went back the next day and we're headed around to him, and it was just getting daylight, and we spotted another big giant bear over on the over on this cove. So we decided to take a a, a stalk on him as well. So we we you know beast the boat, jumped out of the boat, and and the bear's coming around this big cove. And I mean he's half a mile away, but you can see him just like nothing. You know, I mean they're giant. Yeah. And he's covering ground. I mean he's just walking, and and, and but I mean they're ten yards cool.
0: of stride. It seems exactly. like it? When I mean they're they, doing that. I mean, yeah. it just seems like they're covering ground. I'll bet in the in the
1: span of no more than five or ten minutes, he covered half mile.
0: Yeah. No doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And
1: uh, anyway, he wasn't in a hurry. He was just going along, but, you know, he's just walking. And we got, we headed into him, and he kind of went off the beach up in this kind of a corner. We thought he was going to go uphill, so we hauled us up there. And and just let so me peek over, the bear standing there 35 yards straight at us. And, um, I mean, then this was a giant, giant, just dark-colored boar. Um, you know, later Preston told me that he'd probably go number three, if not, if not big yeah of all time um mm-hmm. he figured it was a 29 inch head at least <laughs> and uh anyway um so the bears stand their facing us and i've been in this situation i don't know how many times with black bears wearing hacks and you know so invariably with black bears if you're in that situation they're not going to spin and run they're going to just kind of you know they may not come in they may leave but it's going to be fairly slow so i'm waiting for him to turn broadside and like i said he's 35 yards each shot and uh, but instead of doing that he just whirls and runs and so I'm thinking, God, that's, you know, it really did surprise me because, like I said, it just wasn't typical of what I see with Bears Martin Hex. And uh, so I turned around and we we're going back and I noticed that Preston didn't have a Hex face mask on. And so I asked him, I said, hey, Preston, you got your Hex on? And he's kind of, you know, a little embarrassed. He said, no, I didn't actually put it on this morning. I forgot. You know, I gave him all the base alert and stuff anyway i mean i'm convinced that that will cost us a bear i really am yeah. um but uh anyway we got back in the boat we went to over towards where the sea lion carcass was and uh, we got there just a little bit too late, and that that big bear had already started up the hill. And But they had a draw, so we, we were able to make a draw, you know, go up this draw, and he kind of came around. And and we did get 50 yards of him, but the wind was kind of goofy then as well. And so I just didn't get a shot. I just didn't stop long enough to get a shot, and he took off. And then he went nocturnal for the next five days. So uh, anybody that thinks that they're dumb, they're not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> In many ways they perform. But, uh, you know, we, we kept hunting. It was just phenomenal. We saw bears every single day. I had another one that was uh, almost as good as him that I just didn't quite get a shot at. Um, and then finally on the fifth day, uh, he went nocturnal. And the, the fourth day, we actually saw where he'd been back in the, to the sea lion. And uh, we figured he was there in the day. So I told Press I said, look, we got to get in this boat. we got to go straight there, no looking at nothing else. And so we left about an hour before daylight, and we hit the beach. I mean, it was barely light enough to see when we hit the beach. And then we got to have the wind right, and we worked up there and, and came up above him, and sure enough, there he was. And uh, 16 yards, broadside, there were three of us right on top of it right on the skyline. He just looks up at us and just kind of he took a little step. I had to kind of read. Position around a rock, but heck, he wasn't even looking at when There, I think it's 16 yards. So, it uh, you just can't ride any better. I mean, it was just phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And uh, yeah, and he's a giant bear. He's been a crockett, uh, you know, 27 inch head, 27 and 8 inch head. So, uh, blonde color too. So that's a little bit different. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of those big boards are real dark, but this was real light blonde. So, uh, anyway, he'll be sitting right here in this in my trophy room here before too long. Uh, hopefully. A couple more weeks he's almost done. He's just Oh my right gosh.
0: Now. Yeah. Dang, that, so, you, you were on the speed plan. Well, probably with less people traveling last year too. You might have worked your way up in, in Yeah, the maybe. I mean, I, I've got a I've got a pretty good relationship with my
1: tax service. Uh he's a guy out of Caldwell, Idaho, it's Imperial Tax German. Oh. And all the stuff that's in this room, pretty much he's done. So uh, yeah, I get I get pretty good treatment from, from <laughs> Nathan over there, no doubt. So
0: Yeah, the the big honestly grizz and coastal bears are kind of at the top you know really at the top of um thrill factor for me mm-hmm. you know i've i've probably got well I, I i don't i didn't have too long into the coastal bear i got really lucky um because i realized how lucky i was because when when my hunt happened when we landed in that small town, there was actually like signs up that said, um, uh, no salmon run fishing closed, which is not what you want (laughs) to hear. Like, yeah, that's just like, Oh no. And so the guide said, yeah, there's with this, that was the year of the big tsunami in, you know, over in Asia. So -hmm. there was actually a lot of like wash up of just random stuff on the shore but mm-hmm. because of all that disruption, the salmon run did not happen in this part of the peninsula. Mm-hmm. So um, it really changed the dynamic of, of that hunt entirely because they're just, you know, one, every, there was no run. So everything is much lighter. You know, the size was there, the length mm-hmm. and everything was there. It just wasn't as filled out. Um, the hides were, still really good, but the just – every bear you saw, the only ones that were stationary were ones that were really feeding on kelp, you know, as the the tide pushed out. They were really just – shoveling that you know that shore shoreline and just Mm -hmm. digging for that kelp and sometimes they'll they'll start digging and they'll kind of get a little pit and then they'll lay in that and then all the kelps kind of around them and they're just kind of raking it in and chowing Mm -hmm. down and i remember staring you know because you're looking through a spotting scope Yeah, i've got something in my loophole that like a mile and a half and you're trying to determine is that a log Or Mm -hmm. is it a bear that literally is gorging itself without having to waste any energy and move around, which actually is what it, what was happening quite a bit. Um, and so we actually saw a bear, but he was following a tributary and we, you could tell that he was walking right above the tributary and he was looking down in it for Mm -hmm. fish And that tributary wound around and then eventually dumped into the sea. Mm -hmm. And it looked like he had about another mile and a half or two miles if he stayed on that before he would get to the shore. So I literally just looked at him and said, let's go. And and just started running Mm -hmm. and just ran down to the beach and then started heading up the beach. And we were pretty blind because there's, there's that, that break wall, Mm -hmm. um, which has a ton of debris and stuff like that on there. Mm -hmm. And you really have to be on top of that to be able to see the, those little tributaries that kind of feed in. So we just, we kind of just had a mark of where he was. We ranged it from where we were glassing. And so, I was just running down the beach and then turning around and ranging back up to that hill, just trying to get within a hundred or 200 yards of where I thought he was so that we could peer over. And we peered over the first time and he had already covered more ground than us. Even with me, like daddy long leg hauling, butt. um, he had already passed. So I just kind of, before the other guys even were able to get up, um, I just kind of pointed, like, get back down and go, and so went back down and just started running again. And I knew I needed to get past him because there wasn't fish in there to hold him. He was—I right. knew he was just going to walk until he got to, until he realized there were no fish, and then he was going to do what they yeah. were all doing, which was go back up into the mountains. You know, yeah. so yeah. Uh, we got down and and just hauled butt, and I kind of went up and looked over. And I could see he was like about 40 or 50 yards behind us just coming. And so we actually uh, got up on this break wall right where there was a big dead fall. And so we were able to kind of be right there. And he was 40 yards kind of, honestly, he was kind of like just digging around like, I don't know, on something that was just in the mud on the, on that, you know, and, and was able to, honestly, it happened so fast. My first shot, I didn't. I didn't really know it had hit him as good as it did. I thought I was a little bit low, but, you know, once we got up to him, we're like, no, this was, this was money." but it was, uh it was pretty freaking cool. And then uh Darren had a tag too. And then, you know, another seven days went by without, you know, without any, any action, he ended up having to go back a year later and then, on top of that, like once I got that coastal, I really keyed in on, on the mountain Grizz or the inland, mm-hmm. um, in BC. And I think in total, I had like 70 days, 60 or 70 days on that, um, through multiple hunts, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, yeah. They're they're yeah not and they're so, them. they're just so few and far between too. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Like if you see one, which is, you know if you're there for 20 day, like most most guides in bc or whatever if they're doing black bear hunts if they're out two weeks they'll see a grizz you know but mm-hmm. it's not they're not going to see a grizz every day they go out you know the grizz just have big coverage big mileage that they cover um but what i will say is you know if you see one, you're not going to like see them the next day too. So sometimes you might see one and just be like, there's one. And by the time you try to get there, they're just, they're gone. So it it took, it took several trips for, for that, yeah, that,
1: that's the challenge of bow hunting. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of guys that go after them with guns and don't get them for years and years. It yeah. really is. And so, you can know, imagine, you know, you might be out there for ten days or twenty, however long, and you see one animal, one target animal that you can shoot in that amount of time. That particular animal, that I mean, unless he's on something to eat, he's moving all the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, they can cover so much ground. It's a. Uh, this really is a challenge that probably unmatched, really, in bow hunting. I mean, there's there's some other tough stuff. There's sheep and things like that. But probably, especially in the grizzly, are, you know, they're just... They're here one second and gone, and you may never see another one. And that's what makes it so tough as a bow hunter. Um, one of the reasons why I picked the place that I went for brown bear because I've talked to a lot of brown bear guys that have the same exact experience with them. And uh, you know, it's it's with with archery, it's really good if you can have multiple encounters. I mean, it really is because you know, I mean, heck, we're trying to kill them with a sharp stick, and they don't want to die. <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, it's uh, but that's what makes it fun. It really is. It's it's all part
0: of it. And it seems like it's always. a coin toss of like with a grizz or a you know a brown bear Mm -hmm. or a grizz it's a coin toss their demeanor they're they're either like totally unafraid and they're coming you know or Mm -hmm. or they're like i don't want any part of that not gonna risk it survival instinct takes over and they just you know even though they're bigger and bolder they're also smart and they're and, you know, and they're, and yeah. they, and they flee, you know, they take the the smart way out and they flee, yeah. you know, even the one that I killed that day before, when we made that
1: stock up that draw, uh, when the wind switched and it hit, it, he got our wind instead of turning and running or doing anything else like that. He just kind of gives a big, Bluff charge, move woof, 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 down the hill, you know. And uh, it wasn't enough to shoot at, you could see him clearly, but it was also that alder, you know. And that alder's just freaking doing this stuff. And then he turn- turned and, and, and then took off after that. But um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the kind of experience that you're used to seeing with anything else when it went, you I'll tell you that, yeah. <laughs> so
0: I'll tell you the, the one thing that's a little bit um, I shouldn't say. Well, it is a bit sketchy is, um, I remember like, you know, bear hunting with Sharon and Harry with Hex. They, I mean, you need to expect them to like get in the tree with you because they know you're there, but they don't recognize what you are. So then they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're honestly more inquisitive. But in saying that whenever I've hunted, um, over bait, which I do, I am, I do believe that there's a good time for that. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's areas where bear, bear hunting needs to happen. Like it definitely needs to happen. There's Get out of the way to places, yeah. It, yeah. It's just, it's insane how many that you can see, like, you know, cause you drive around, you don't see bears, you know, it's not yeah. like you really see them, but when you're in there, and there's like 15 different ones coming in and mm-hmm. you know, you're talking, this piece of bush that you're in is, you know, two miles square. Well, that's a, that's a serious density, but the big boars, they just, you know, they skirt it, they scent check it. They, they use all their senses and they know that they can come in the pitch black and they're fine. So to get a really big bore over bait is, you know, it is, it's not a guarantee. It, it, no, no, it takes, it takes luck, yeah. you know, takes luck because they roam and they cover a lot of ground. Definitely takes luck. But, you know, it also takes kind of being unknown. You know, mm-hmm. you need them to think that nobody's there and then they're way more likely to stroll in, which, you know, Sharon has the biggest black bear, I think, in the house still. And that sucker, I mean... He was very, very, very crafty. And I I think if I mean he was like looking our direction, like he knew I'm hearing something that's up in that up in that area. But you know, you can tell when things look through you and they're not like looking right at you. They're just kind of like, wait, where did I hear that? It almost is like they're looking at like they're looking in the dark where they're not able to like fixate on you. And that's when you know something like that's working you know for sure well some there's some interesting things with
1: bears and and it really came out in a big study in 2016 you know we came out with with hex um you know i mean well you and i started using it even before we came out with it yeah we had one of the very first the old ones but um but we actually you know came out with it in 2010 but in 2016 there was a big study um about uh, electroreception as far as as mammals go um you know birds it's very well proven that birds see electrical fields visually and that's what hex is all about we block those fields so anytime there's a movement it takes a, you know, a muscle to, to, to make that movement happen and that muscle actually has an electrical current that causes it to, to, to work so that current travels outside your body birds see it visually and that's why we're shooting these turkeys out in the chairs and getting away with full and all that stuff and we've done it with every species all across the country um, and you know as a matter of fact I, I had to chuckle at a a uh, podcast out of some, some guys out in the midwest here a couple of weeks ago and, and they were all about how hex doesn't work and not, none of them had ever tried it and they were citing old science so i actually got to write them a little email and, and yeah, <laughs> kind of backed up a little bit but anyway it's just funny how the skeptics work but um but again that, that those fields are visual to birds because they have a uh, a molecule called cryptochrome it's highly electrically conductive it's in the eye and they know that that's how they're seeing that that's how they navigate that's how they see the electrical field of the earth and it's also how they tell living movement from non-living movement. well lo and behold there's a couple other species that also have cryptochrome within their eyes and bears are one of them bears canines there's four or five other species that they know now and it honestly it's not a surprise to us at all um bears uh, you know are bears and dogs dogs and coyotes and everything like that are also very susceptible we yeah. see big differences with them um, again they found that that molecule cryptochrome in their eye so we know how they're actually being able to pick up what, what we're doing and that's how they tell living beings from non-living beings so you take that electrical field away which is what hex does uh it, it causes them to not see you as living any longer. And you see that with bears all the time, you know, birds, bears, coyotes, Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why the special forces are still using hexes as, as far as what they tell us is they're getting between uh, 30 and 90 seconds more time before a dog will alert when they're going in on COVID situation. So um, I, again, it's, it's just kind of, it's, it, science is kind of catching up with us a little bit, which is kind of a cool feeling, yeah. honestly, we launched this. We were the craziest guys in the whole country, and you know, but uh, we'd already used it. I personally had used it enough that I could say, yeah, there it is. It, it works. You know, well, I'm you pretty
0: know? sure. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sure that I've had it since the very first episode of Knock On because mm-hmm. our first, I think our first show that we filmed was like, well, I think we were filming in 2009, 2010, we would mm-hmm. have, you know, had our first air shows, and I'm sure I had, like, some whites. I think it was, like, yeah. white. That or original, that original
1: white stuff we came out, the the stuff that we actually sent out, we had, there's some stuff that predates that as well that we were just testing on our own with. But I think the very first stuff that you had that with the white, it was actually a hex fabric that we didn't even have it dyed yet. Um, and we sent that to you, and that would have been 2009, because so,
0: okay. we launched the
1: company in 2010. So,
0: yeah. yeah, and I, I tell people... You know, it's one of those deals where I can't, uh, I can't, you know, give them something where I'm like, I a hundred percent know it works every time. <laughs> but what I can tell people is I have a lot more success than people that don't wear it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I can tell you that right now. The simple fact of the matter is I hunt with a lot of the same friends and I talk to a lot of the same friends. And when it comes to, Tags in hand and tags notched. Um, I've been leading the pack for quite a while. And hex is one thing that, I mean, people, you're going to see me with it all the time. And that that's just how it is. And, you know, um, so I had a, my early season elk hunt was really cool. I've, I've wanted to shoot a bull in velvet for a while. And last year was actually the year to do it. Um, just because the way Utah's, uh, seasons work, you know, I think it's like, has to do with whatever Saturday of the year. And so it like during every seven years, it becomes very early and that, so just that extra two or three days, as much as it sounds like it's ridiculous, Mm -hmm. when like I've been there the day before season scouting and a hundred percent of the bulls are in velvet, and then the next morning, all of a sudden, a couple bulls are raking, and then by that evening, fifty yep. percent of the bulls anywhere you find are raked, and then you have like three or four days, unless you find a, a lone bull, which hmm. I found a lone bull that was clearly an old, old bull that didn't want anybody around him, like nobody. And I was actually mule deer hunting and got, I got in really close to a muley and I was almost there too long. And he, he honestly had no, I, I don't know why I haven't played this footage, but he, um, he came up and he started feeding. And like, I was trying to get to one little tree or something. And I was in the, I was in a wide open and, I could just see his back and he's in all that uh I don't know what kind of buck brush that stuff is in the wasatch there, but you know what I'm talking about? It's it sounds like an oat brush, sort of, yeah. Yeah. And so I could see his back and I'm you know, I'm I'm literally maneuvering trying to stay quiet. And then he's I'm kind of intercepting and then all of a sudden he does what big deer do he stops decides mm-hmm. to just come straight at me and I go down to one knee with like my arrow knocked and pointing forward and he just head down just feeding 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 and then just gets like real close and just kind of like looks up like this and he's just sitting there looking at me I'm not small you know you and I you and I both are not yeah we're not like blending in so he just sat there and like, looked at me like, what the heck are you? And, and mm-hmm. we sat there for so long to where he was kind of just like, I'm going to sit here till someone moves first. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, are you know, and sometimes you can on a mute, oh, yeah, sometimes, sometimes yeah. you can get back and they're just, mm-hmm. and, and they kind of go from like staring at you to going, huh? Mm-mm. and then you can pump them in the chest which i've done Mm-mm. but this guy as soon as i as soon as i like pulled back it you know it was too much and I, and yeah. when i pulled back i had a you know guy right over my shoulder with a big lens yeah, I, I actually yeah, that don't help <laughs> yeah i actually think um i was more worried about the lens flare which is a mm. a big a big problem with cameras you know yeah. lens flare especially when you're out in the open like that mm-hmm. um But then, like, as I came back from that, I came around, and we had a spotter on the, well, the spotter was probably two miles away. And when I got back, he's like, you wouldn't believe the bull I saw. And so he had, you know, he had phone scoped it, and I just said, holy crap, dude, I would kill that bull. And he said, honestly, I know you're here for for muleys, but, I, you know, you've got an elk tag for September. You might want to, you might want to use it. So Mm -hmm. I, so, you know, we kind of debated and then I said, well, let's see if we can find him again tomorrow morning, which we did. We found him. Uh, and I was, I was in the same spot hoping to, you know, to kind of see that muley again. Mm -hmm. Um, but, it, you know, in high, in high country, it gets really hard because you can go 100 yards and there's a new whoopty do, doo and oh, yeah. there can be, you know, just stuff in there. So when I came out um, and then drove around and met my spotter, he's like, I found your bull. And he said, you won't believe it, but he goes, he's bedded in a finger that is, he's totally killable. And it was, you know, if you can picture like a mountain face, there's a lot of that buck brush and all that stuff, you know, and slate and everything. But mm-hmm. there was one finger of timber that was about, I would say, 80 yards wide, but maybe maybe a mile long or so. Mm-hmm. But he was three-quarters of the way to the top. He came in, and it was sparse enough to where if he had moved high or low, a spotter could definitely see so we kind of had an idea so yeah Yeah. and that that night the wind was good we flanked around um, left the spotter from a few miles away just looking and then went up uh, to the top and was just kind of sitting there waiting and I was there early you know I kind of felt like I needed to be there early to kind of see what the wind was really doing. And I kind of Mm -hmm. felt like I might have to play on the backside of that face because of the wind. And then like peek up, you know, just kind of keep coming up and peeking over and glass this side of that finger. Mm -hmm. And then I'd have to come back down, flank around, glass down this side. And meanwhile, I had a spotter set up looking at the spotter and, you know, he's giving me the signal like he's out, you know, right. <laughs> he's out, <laughs> he's out. So uh we ended up stalking in and I had Dallas Haymeyer with me. We stalked in, in our, in our socks, went down and got, I think it was like 33 yards from this bull. And he was, he was right around this corner. There was like some scrubby stuff there, but I could see, almost all of them, and he was feeding, but he was very attentive. He'd pick his head Mm up, he'd be looking, his ears were just like solid as a rock. And Mm. one of the things that stood, and then he, he fed on the edge for a second, then he turned back in and he was staying about 10 yards inside of the thick stuff. And because I was on the edge, now he is, he's 20 yards from me, where a big tree had fallen over and I can see his eyeballs in his rack. And one of those, uh, pine, those Jack squirrels Mm -hmm. came down and he kind of like looked at me and I was all just, you know, I was masked up and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, don't you bark? Because the, a squirrel had barked when he was out feeding and he like Mm -hmm. hopped in and then he was like on alert for like 20 minutes. And again, this, this bull is inside of 30 yards, but just in very, very thick cover. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm pinned kind of, I'm standing next to a, a small little pine tree that is five or 10 yards from the thick cover and right. I'm sitting there looking at that squirrel, like this squirrel will ruin this hunt. If this squirrel starts barking, which they do, if they know what you are.
1: Oh, 100% of the time, except for right now how this came going But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but
0: no, I, I, um, like even on that hunt, if someone said, well, did your hex work? I don't know if it worked on the bull, but I can tell you for sure that squirrel did not, did not, bust me and those freaking little squirrels they chirp and bark and you know and they sit there doing it for a long time and and they're trying to tell everybody hey there's a dude over here and and the fact that that thing kind of came up and looked at me a few times and didn't know what i was and couldn't Mm -hmm. figure that part out he did not alert the bull, and so the bull just kept his head down, feeding along the backside of this big blowdown, and then he came out. He honestly came out in what should have been a perfect shot, and I ranged him, and then I set my sight, and I knew he was so relaxed. I, like, I ranged him, like, f- felt like, 25 times (laughs) to just make sure that I wasn't like shaking and getting the wrong read. And he was kind of quartering hard. So I thought he's just going to turn broadside. I actually thought he was going to turn and come up within 10 yards, Mm -hmm. but then it got to the point where I knew he went from being really close to then being 31, 32, 33, 35. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, now's my shot. And when I made my shot, th- this is how spooky that bull was. When I made my shot, he dropped like maybe 10 inches or so mm-hmm. at a th- mid 30 yard shot. He went from me like being, cause you know, that's the nice thing about a camera. You can pause it mm-hmm. and say, this is where I want to shoot. <laughs> and then you can go frame, 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 frame. And he literally, like, did the duck and turn. And Ow. as he, like, duck, well, they picked their legs up, you know. So, as he, like, picked his back quarter up, that quarter came forward right in front of that back rib. So, my arrow kind of went in a lot further back than what you would think looking at it. But it actually <laughs> – um, it actually just went all the way through everything. It clipped that back artery that was like under the spine. And then it it also hit the, it dead centered the liver. So um, it didn't look the best when he went running off. I was like, dang, how did I hit Mm -hmm. that? But playing it back, uh, you know, I kind of realized what happened, but you know, for him to react that much at my bow, that is, He he was on it. Yeah, he was on it. So if 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 anything would like if that squirrel would have started chirping, yeah. he might not have busted out of there. But he would not have stayed on that feeding path. He would have he would have probably just turned, stayed in the thick stuff, and just headed down towards the river, you know, towards the river yeah, in the bottom of that, that draw. Those
1: squirrels have messed up more hunts for more hunters than just about <laughs> anything out there. And interestingly enough, it's one of the things that we hear, you know, when, when people first get hacks and it's like, well, you know, I, I didn't really mean to have some deer, but God, I noticed the squirrels were quiet. And I mean, that's, it's universal just about, um, I mean, I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I had a squirrel chirping at me when, unless I was, you know, just crashing around and stuff making ball racket but if you're sneaking around you know and actually hunting, i couldn't even tell you last time i trip at school, sir, me. Yeah, and it's, and it's cool i mean i was hunting in oklahoma in december and i had a big one of those great big red squirrels i mean we don't have them out west but they're giant you know you know it looks like it looked like a cat up there you know? yeah so, and i hear something in the tree above me and i'm looking and i have my tax cam on my hat and I, I look up and i see this Freaking giant squirrel! He's coming down the. I'm sitting about just back up against an oak tree, just kind of waiting for some deer to come in. And uh, anyway, he's coming down. He's coming down. I mean, he's. I, I'm like this. I'm thinking,
0: man, I'm, gonna, I'm getting the coolest footage ever
1: with my action Right. Yeah. But anyway, um, but he's like, he's not two feet from me, right? At, at, at the most and he's just looking at me and I go, God, he's, this one's going to bark probably, you know, yeah. but he never did he just turned, he knew something was there, he knew it wasn't right, but it wasn't enough to bark at then I get back and I'm going through my footage and I guess this would be the coolest, like right in your face, you know, squirrel footage and the way the camera angle was, all you can see is his tail, you know, sticking out <laughs>
0: <up. laughs>
1: but I mean, he was literally I mean, he wasn't two feet above me and, uh, and he kept messing around there for probably 30 minutes you know, before he finally went on But there again, if he would have, if he would have, you know, did what squirrels normally do, you you know, I mean, it would have been because they're the alarm system of the woods. That's what they are. So, oh, yeah. yeah. When you were telling me about a squirrel, like I said, you've never told me that story, but I already knew how it was going (laughs) to (laughs) end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are Mm -hmm. the small things that I think a hunter that doesn't have experience just probably you know it's just something you're going to take for granted but it's one of those
1: things if you don't hear it you know if if you if you hear the squirrels chirping at you and all that kind of stuff well that's you know i'm pissed off now if you don't hear it you're not pissed off and you don't think about it you know a lot of people but uh if you think about it when you're wearing hacks i mean the, the the woods are just a lot calmer they just really are and you know, like I said, it's, it's been, uh, this one's been a fun ride. I've done, I've done a lot of things in the archery industry, but this one's been probably the funnest, honestly, because we had so many people that were so skeptical when we started it, you know? And I mean, when Scott and I, you know, we started this thing and, and he and I were both, you know, pretty, pretty veterans in the archery industry and we had a lot of connections and we knew everybody. And yeah. I'm thinking, well, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I've never lied to these guys before. Why would I start now? You know? Cause yeah. I mean, all the time that we owned winner's choice back, prior to 2012 when it was still a good string company. Um, (laughs) You know, we had a great following and and all that. And, you know, it's like, I think Scott and I were both a little taken back at, about the, the skepticism, you know, even with people that have known us forever. But uh, the cool thing is, is we had enough experience that we knew it was going to work. And it's just kind of like back in the Winter's choice days, when we launched Winter's choice, we were the most expensive string company out there and by a lot, not by a little by a lot. And I mean, we had dealers laugh at us when they looked at our pricing and, and uh, we gave them a free set of strings and, and that's how Winter's choice got started in the same kind of way. So um, we, we gave away quite a few hexes to the beginning and, and that kind of thing too. But the thing is we knew what was we knew what they were gonna see. I mean we yeah. had full confidence in, in what we had. And lo and behold, what twelve years later here we are.
0: Well know? I remember so. I remember Ulmer and I don't know if it was the two of us together, but I remember him telling a story about you know, I I think I was telling him about um mule deer hunting in canola which I normally mm-hmm. you know covid's changed that the last two years but normally i'm i'm normally I'm stalking mule deer in canola at mm-hmm. the end of august like that's just yeah. that's that's how it happens and it's gonna happen again and when you're <laughs> when you're in canola you the canola is as high as the deer's back when they're you know mm-hmm. when their heads up you can see their whole head and their whole rack so that the hardest thing about hunting mule deer in canola is being able to get close enough to where you can get an arrow through it, you know, and and get a clear shot. And sometimes you got to wait for them to just kind of get in one of the rows where the spray truck is like, you know, the wheels have matted it down. And as soon as they cross one of those, you got like a shot, but you're having to stay, you're having to stay, you know, uncomfortably close for a long period of time and there's just times where it you know I was kind of telling Randy like what do you do when you're sitting on a mule deer that long and he just made the comment on the big deer you know and this was pre pre pre-2010 or whatever Mm -hmm. you know this was yeah it was probably like you know after, after the ESPN games and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. it had to have been like 2007, seven, eight. Cause I know, you know, Darren and I were doing double D at the time, but he just said, if, if it's a bit, if it's a big mature deer, I don't get like, if I get too close, even if the wind's right, even if everything's right, it's just a matter of time before you can tell their demeanor, changes mm-hmm. and they know something isn't right and so he just yeah. said if i'm not too close to him then i can avoid that and i think yeah. that conversation is really what kind of spurred you know the yes. the idea of what is the sixth sense cuz we actually referred to it as a sixth sense that's yeah. in that conversation Randy mm-hmm. said the big ones have a sixth sense. I think that's exactly what he said. And he's yeah. like, and I, I don't, you know, I stay back enough to where I can strike or I can close the distance once they're up and they're occupied. But if they're just sitting there and all their senses are bedded mm-hmm. and trying to stay alive, I don't want to be in that scenario. And so he just yeah. said that the sixth sense is, is what will do it yeah i mean i had the same conversation and it might have been spurred off of that one or one, one of the one or the others
1: it's about the same time frame um this would have been in 2009 when we were just playing with hacks uh we hadn't launched it yet the patents were issued and all that but it was it was kind of in the final stages and i was at the at the at show and of course randy was one of our one of our guys with winner's choice and we had the winner's choice booth there and we were talking about mule deer and actually i was explaining um kind of the the quote-unquote birth of hacks of the idea um, was actually with a mule deer in Wyoming um, and it was super steep country um, this buck was 190 inches typical if he was anything he was giant giant deer old <laughs> old giant deer and I mean I'm coming on and I have a probably a 25 or 30 mile an hour wind in my face coming straight at me I mean there's it's all making noise it's doing everything it's perfect stocking condition right so I'm, I'm coming across this buck, he's 30 yards, and he's laying in his bed, and he's just calm as could be. And then I, I made one little move out, he's still calm, I get to full draw, and I, I about hit full draw, and he comes up, he jumps straight up, and it was so steep he probably went down 10, 15 feet straight down. Or well, where he lit, I didn't have a shot, but the important thing was that he wasn't looking at me, he was looking around, he was looking all around like this, and, and he didn't know, he knew something was there, he did, had no idea what. And, uh, you know, that was kind of what started the whole conversation. You know, we've all seen it as hunters. I mean, it's not like that's the first time that's ever happened, that always happens all the time, but um, it kind of started that conversation and kind of got me and a couple other people I was working with at the time kind of interested in what could be causing that, right? And so I was explaining that to Randy at the HEA, and, and he's the one who told me, he said, yeah, he said, I don't get inside of 40 yards. He said, if you're inside of 40 yards on a bed of mule there he's going to know you're there pretty soon, and he's not going to stand up and look at you. <laughs> you know, those big ones do not stand up and look at you. They take out of there 90 miles an hour. And so, um, you know, and of course, like Randy's one of my personal archery heroes anyway you know he just is um, and certainly with mule deer there's not a not a more expert on the planet than randy i mean he's killed yeah. more he's still more big mule deer than winter so uh yeah. you know it's uh <laughs> when randy says something you better listen and and but it all kind of made sense and and uh one thing about it i, I there's really well to me there's no doubt at all that because i've stocked in in super close range and stayed tight with them for i mean hours um i started uh, i was after a meal there in nevada uh 2016. Um, This deer was 220 to 230 easy, big, non-typical, just a giant buck. Found him the first day of season, luckily, on public ground. Um, I hunted him for three weeks, that deer, no other deer for three weeks. Um, I actually had a stalk on him um, about the second day. I tried to stalk He was with these seven other bucks, and uh, I – I made the mistake of trying to stalk the whole group. Well, I got in close enough to him. I could see him. He was 50 yards bedded, and I had to wait for him to stand up. Well, I didn't What I didn't know is that there was another one about 10 yards to my left. And we stood there for, I mean, standing up, you know, and we had a hard wind, and then all, all of a sudden the wind just dies, and those thermals switched a little bit, and that buck was right beside me that I had no idea was there. Of course, he just wins this and jumps up and blew the whole deal up. And so I didn't stalk that buck again for three weeks. I finally got him by himself, um, and I got in above him, he was uh, there was a rock just about as big as he was, I was 20 yards on the upper side of that rock, all, I, all he had to do was stand up and walk, take a step either way, and he was dead. And I was pulled up against a rim in the shade of this rim with the wind in my face. I mean, everything was beautiful. And it was, if I remember right, it was like five and a half or six hours. I mean, he should have already stood up and changed beds
0: 15 times, you know.
1: And uh, the way it worked out, there were some guys out of Utah that were actually kind of honing in on because I've been hunting basically the same freaking place every day for three weeks so uh, anyway they'd taken up and they went up on top of the ridge well they jumped all those buddies off top of the ridge and those bucks came right down by me and I could have shot any one of them at (laughs)
0: 10 feet I mean
1: but when but they were running and of course when he jumps up he rounds he actually did stop it he was about 40 I didn't get a chance to range him I you know he was probably 40 42 yards I pulled back and I shot and there was a rock that was sticking out right beside me and my arrow caught that rock right out of my butt like a foot out of my bow but it was heartbreaking it really was but I guess the moral of the story is there was no problem I mean there's no way you could have did that on that buck no way without it I don't believe because I've been that close to bucks I don't know how many times and they just know you're there like Randy says you know so
0: it's funny I actually didn't I didn't really want this to be like a A Hex podcast commercial or just, it doesn't have to be, we just, we just, (laughs) we went, we, we kind of went down this storytelling thing just because it's, it is cool. You and I have these stories, but one of the things that I really like is, um, I know last year you guys used one of the hunts that I did in Alberta where I was really close and this buck was bedded and it was so thick. All I could see was like the tips of his G2s, mm-hmm. his G2 forks. He was that deep in there. And I kept just like, the wind was strong. So I kept just edging forward, edging forward. And I was so close that I could see his, I could see his eyeballs through, no. through the canola. I could like <laughs> see his eye and I knew I'm like, okay, you cannot go any further and I knew I cannot pull my bow until his butt comes up. And then, yeah. you know, during that movement, I could just rip back. And mm-hmm. it it was pretty much a snapshot. Um, just because once he did go to get up and I drew my bow back, which I I had held at full draw, there's a few times where he was itching and I thought like, he's going to mm-hmm. get up and I was able to get my bow drawn really slow and kind mm-hmm. of bring it up. And I was just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then finally I had to like, let it down. And I really feel like, uh, the, the fabric itself, there is nothing, well, this, the Sika um, core lightweight yeah. is actually very slick and it's slick for a reason so that the mid later mid layers and outer layers can slide on it so it doesn't you know it doesn't bind up it's wow. made to be sheeny like that um, but that stuff is so awesome for navigating through like wheat or um that canola or mm. or I actually I was down in my undies again in Colorado um into my, my hex base just because in that CRP, it was so intertwined that you kind of had to like put your leg into it and kind of just like wiggle your leg and like almost like combing hair that was really knotted, Mm -hmm. (laughs) try to just get it to come apart and then you could slide it forward. So I was, I was in my undies for both those for like a long, long, long time. And, and just Right close, like a hundred percent close enough for, for top pin, like the whole time. And yeah, it's one of those deals where I know that a lot of things have to be right. And there's just, there's certain things that the more you hunt, the more you realize things happen that you can't explain and normally that's a negative, like that's on the negative side. Like why did they blow out of here or whatever? But there's also times where it's like, "Mm, I shouldn't have been able to get away with this. You know, I shouldn't have been able to get away with that. So those are the moments for me that make it worthwhile. And in the end, you know, it's, it's less money than a dozen arrows. You know. yeah. well, so I, truthfully, I it's less than a dozen arrows. And, I mean, if if someone asks you, you know, if someone said if, if you pay for, well, people do it. You know, for us, they do it every day. If you buy match mm-hmm. grade, look, look how much more you pay for a match grade arrow because they're inside of a thousandth. So they give mm-hmm. you one to two thousandths better straightness opportunity and you're paying that much for one or two thousands of a better chance to be lethal so it's like the math is the same the math is the same
1: for, for us, we, you know, being a bow hunter lifelong this has been my passion forever. And there's a couple of things that, you know, yeah, hex does what it does, but, um, if you've got something that makes too much noise, um, you know, cause as like I said, they, they've got a lot more than just the sixth sense we talk about, obviously yeah, there's the five others. we always knew about, right. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and, and, you know, being noisy is, is one of the big ones. And so, you know, all of our fabrics that, you know, I'm really anal about making sure that they're gonna be quiet they're going to do you know because you know it doesn't do us any good as a company to have a a, a technology that works if it's loud because guess what you're gonna get busted you're not gonna know why it's gonna be you know just gonna get busted so the whole idea is to to make something that number one doesn't have a downside that's super comfortable and super quiet and everything else plus it has you know has the technology so you know that's really what we're all about again it's just me being a you know if i won't hunt in it then we don't make it you yeah. know, and and you know Scott's in there too. I mean, he's the same way. Him and I go back and forth on all this stuff. And like I said, if it's too noisy to hunt in, it's not going to be a hex gear. Just yeah. not. So anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah, the, the hex commercial, I guess. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. But hey, let's talk about archery a little bit. I kind of like that stuff too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, it's funny when people people underestimate their noise and how important that is as a bow hunter. Cause I know there's a lot of people that are brand new bow hunters um, Mm -hmm. that are listening. And it's, so here's how I relate it. You know, if I'm in my house, I'm on my couch, we're watching TV. Like it's a, it's a normal night. I'm there, you know, my ladies over there, my friends who are my dogs are there. And if all of a sudden like the wind picks up my uh, furniture on my deck is pretty light. But if all of a sudden I hear like, boom!
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody is like, "What was that little thump yeah. noise?" Yep. Because that, thump, yeah, even though it's really not, it's not like it was a tornado siren. Mm-hmm. But everybody's like, "Wait a minute! Is someone coming in? Is someone yep. downstairs?" You know, is someone just, hiding just in think, the closet upstairs? Just, think just you are living your life with somebody trying to
1: shoot you all the time. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, multi- yeah, yeah, so multiply. Yeah, yeah.
0: Multiply that you're on a hit list every mm-hmm. day of your life by, you know, either yeah. weapon or wildlife. And, yeah, so,
1: and, you, and you've got ears that work like, uh, sonar dishes, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. noise is a big deal. Well, and, and so sad. I mean, uh, you know, there's just, that's what makes it so much fun. If honestly, if it was easy, it wouldn't be that much fun. It really wouldn't.
0: Yeah. So. Well, this year I, um, so I got my nose fixed. Uh, I guess it's been about a month or maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've struggled with breathing through my nose my whole life and, from like the test that I had, I had like 30% at best. So I got my nose done, which was, which is a game changer. hundred percent. If you're even thinking about it, if you struggle with allergies, if you struggle with like, I had a deviated septum, mine was like bent all over. And then I had oversized. I don't know what, I call them sinus ducts. I don't know. what I don't know. It was a very long, like doctor, like, procedure that i had so i did that i also got my eyes checked because last year this exact time last year i remember i remember shooting tack in texas all was good i remember going to shoot in the backyard with rogan and peter tia like two days after tack and I could not see my indicator needle and Mm -hmm. I could not like, I'm just like, I can, you know, I was like rubbing my eyes and I'm like, there's just something in the air. But, but you know, I've just got like crud. Maybe I didn't sleep that good. I felt like I had sleep in my eyes. So, but anyway, I, I went and got my eyes checked um, right before my nose, got my eyes Mm -hmm. checked and during my nose appointment, I literally left the nose doctor and went right to the ear doctor. They're well, technically they're the same, but then once he confirmed, yes, you definitely have hearing loss. And I always called it tinnitus, but I guess it's tinnitus um, oh, yeah? In my left, you know, I I have ringing all the time. <laughs> so, so, all right. so I got my ears I got my ears checked and I got the best uh, hearing aids I could get. And honestly, all my senses are like freaking on point right now. But what I'll say is when I got those hearing aids in and, and like I walked outside cause I was on carpet (laughs) in in the doctor's office and it, you know, it snows a lot. So, or or it's icy in Iowa. So there's like gravel outside of like every door in the winter time. So, I stepped out of that door and like could hear my, yourself, <laughs> <didn't you? laughs> I was just like oh my god am I loud so I was actually like trying to stealth stalk to my car to see how quiet it was and I remember texting my the ear lady and I said how true are these to <laughs> to like what what everything else is hearing and mm-hmm. she's like well right now you're at 85% so I was just sitting there thinking, like, the reason maybe I've always felt like I was the quietest sucker to ever be on two feet is probably because I was deaf.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a lot. I, I've, uh, you know, I, part, a lot of what you're relaying is how old are you now? 42, Forty five. Yeah. Okay. 40. When I was 42, I started realizing that I couldn't see anymore. Um, and it took me a long time to, to admit it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd be doing this cause you know, I, I, I can see far away pretty well, but I can't see up close. Yeah. And then as I got closer to 50, then the, the far away stuff got a little bit fuzzy too. And, and, uh, of course, you know, I, I refer, always referred to it as my misfit youth. I spent a lot of time listening to loud music and shooting big pistols without, uh, Hearing protection. Wasn't smart. Wasn't smart as a tool in the shed back then. But uh, anyway, um, you know. So I that ringing in your ears. I have it all the time. So I'm like, I've got you know a rather expensive pair of hearing aids, but they're worth
0: it. You know. (laughs) Uh,
1: But uh, first time I put them in, it scared me. It really did. It's like holy crap. I mean, it's just. But mine's got it to where now I can turn them up. Like if I'm hunting or something, I turn them up, and it drives me crazy to walk because I'm walking as quiet as I could possibly walk and it still sounds loud, you yeah. know, but, uh, but the eye thing, um, and this is something that I just, matter of fact, these are my shooting glasses. Um, I've actually shot shooting a little earlier, but, um, these in particular has been uh, such a game changer for me because I have, uh, my sight will actually starburst. So, um, actually I put them on here again, but, um, so what happens, um, is I will get a starburst, uh, like my sight. And it used to be crystal clear. I could aim, and you know, you can see the the target or whatever, and your pin was crystal clear, you know, in it and everything. Well, it's not anymore. Now it's now it's like a, it's like a instead of being a little dot, it's like a big. It's like those lights light. behind
0: the lights behind you. I'm actually, I'm I'm starting to get like that right now, truthfully. Yeah, it
1: is. And so, um, I got, you know, of course I've been wearing glasses, but the problem with regular glasses is that when I anchor, I've got to shoot right off the bridge of my nose Yeah. and you know, you've got a, you know, something there and and you just can't see it. So what happens? You have to try to change your anchor point. Well, that's something I've been doing since I was, I don't know, six, you know, it's hard thing to change. (laughs) So, um, I actually got a, a buddy of mine named Chuck Cooley as a, He's an, an opto. Uh, he's not an optometrist. He's not an optometrist. He's optician. an optician. He, yeah, because he, 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 I actually called him that the other day. And he had to correct me, but, um, <laughs> but he has, uh, you know, he's a, a top level archer. Has been for years and years. Um, actually, uh, is I love start, Chuck. Fed, he's fed awesome. Division, way back, you know, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck is a great guy. Such a good and, guy. Uh, but he's doing these glasses now specifically for archery, well, all shooting sports. But uh, I tell you what, a homie! What, what a game changer, dude. If if you're having that problem, just get all you have to do is get a hold of Chuck. Give him your whatever prescription you have, and he'll hook you up, man. Yeah, and I mean it will change your game.
0: You need glasses that come tight into your eye exactly. into your eye wells because yeah, if you're if you're pivoting your head correctly when you shoot, you know, and you're just turning your head you know like it's you know pretty much like it's on a swivel mm-hmm. you can, like i can't shoot with sunglasses i'm in incorrect yep. form to shoot with sunglasses because of that bridge yeah exactly uh, you right. kind of you kind of need i actually um oakley made me some years ago that were one one full lens all the way across and then mm-hmm. uh and then that european company kind of came out with those later But I honestly didn't really like them. They were more of a, they were, I I would get eye strain if I didn't wear sunglasses, but Mm -hmm. if I, but if I had my sunglasses on and then took them off to shoot, you know, it kind of distorted my color a little bit.
1: I don't know how good you guys can see this. I'll hold them up, but you can kind of see. I actually t- took the nose thing completely off on one side. Oh yeah. But you know these things that that lens lays right on my nose, so I can. I mean, you can see right through it. The other really cool thing about them is that you can actually take the lenses out. So, I've got some colored lenses that I can put in or anything like that. And these actually have a little bifocal because I can't see up close. So, they got a bifocal right in the bottom. Hey. So, it allows me to be able to do that as well. So,
0: Chuck Cooley, I, how's he wanting yeah. people to contact him? I don't know. If
1: um, you know, he's got, uh, I actually did a
0: text him quick yeah. and just say, hey, I'm actually, on a podcast. Yeah, I've well, i don't know if we, i don't know if he wants us to give out his cell number I've got that oh, yeah. too yeah but, maybe not, not. <laughs> but just maybe just text him and say yeah, I'll do that. you know what contact information do you want Dudley to give out because there's people watching this right now that I'm hearing Yeah, they're to gonna, gonna go want out. it yeah you
1: know it, it's such a game changer I mean I didn't even realize how blind I was I mean Me honestly. Either.
0: you know but I knew I couldn't
1: shoot as good as I used to and you know I have a lot of reasons for that you know but it's, a lot of us just getting old but if you can't see it, you can't hit it. Well, <laughs> the, do it.
0: The sad thing is I'm really not that blind. I'm out of focus. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, yes, I, yes, yeah. Yes. I'm not even blind. I'm like, I'm the difference of like a binocular that, you know, is, has your, has, you know, kind of your plus or minus dialed perfectly or turning it one tick where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, honestly, you, all I feel like is that my vision, I feel like I'm looking through, it's like your camera on your phone when you have a fingerprint right on the yeah, lens yeah, exactly. where you're like, why isn't that crisp? That's kind of where I'm at. I haven't like fallen down the the blind as a billy goat thing, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to hear where a Turkey gobbles and here where an elk bugles because yeah. I can tell you, um, It's not sometimes, it's every time where, like, I'll just catch a certain part of the bugle, you know, and I'll be, like, all excited, and I'll, like, look at Caleb or my guide, and I'll just, like, point, like, I heard that one, he's that way, and then every time they just, like, look at me, and they're just, like, he's over there. Me too. (laughs) Like, I'm always pointing the wrong way. So I'm, like, I'm looking forward to having my ears on point and I wore <laughs> walkers game ears for a long time and they honestly they really 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 help if you're someone who just struggles with what I'm saying get some walkers game ears if nothing else they work great the thing that I like about these new ones is they could actually they were actually adjusted to my specific yeah. difficulties in my hearing and frequencies that I can't hear. So when you go in for a proper ear test, they say certain words, you know, like they'll say like, you know, chocolate Christmas. And then <laughs> she'll say, what, what did I just say? You know, it'll be in one side it'll be like chocolate Christmas. And, and then she'll say, repeat back what I say, And then I'll say something like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what rhymes with chocolate Christmas, but I'll say something that definitely was not that, and she's just yeah. like, no. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. have, no it's some major it's amazing what they can do. They actually
1: tune them because you're at least like me. I can hear low frequency pretty good, but it's the high frequency I can't hear. Yeah, and so um, yeah, it's that's that's the whole thing is, and they tune them so you can actually you know the the regular frequencies sound the same. Yeah. But it's the higher stuff that you can hear. But I mean, I'm just like you. Know, I mean, when I I hung with Caitlin, my daughter, a lot, and she's filming for us, and we hear a bull bugle, and, and I know he's this way, and he's this way, 100 of the time. And 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 for a long time, I I was argued with her. I said, "We're going the wrong freaking way," and then you know, pretty quick, there's a bull right <laughs>
0: it, you know. So, it's so uh, true.
1: Hey man, Chuck got back to me already. He says uh, it's uh, Chuck Cooley Archer on Facebook and also Classic Optical in Ithaca, New York. Um, mm. So Google that or look at it on Facebook. Um, Chuck Cooley, uh, C O O L E Y. Um, so yeah, Chuck
0: is such it's, a good guy. Too. He's a good he, dude and he knows his guy. stuff, man. He's he really an archer. Does. Yeah, he's a he's yep. a legit archer. He's a lifer. A lifer in archery yeah. too. Yeah, I've been doing it forever and I, I tell you, it's made a difference
1: for me. Like I can't even, I, I wear these all the time actually. I, these are my shooting glasses, but half the time I just wear them to work and everything else. I mean, it's the only difference, I've got my is a little bit lower than my regular glasses that I would wear normally to work, but heck, I wear them all the time. They're yeah, awesome. that's
0: pretty awesome. I need to tell them what's going on. Well, Mike, before I want to ask you a few questions, you know, I probably should have asked like tech good questions at the beginning rather than just, you know, going down me and you talking about what we talk about every time we're on the phone. Yeah. Um, so I really, you, you talked about Ulmer being a, a mule deer expert and truthfully, um, you're one of the people to where if, if I was struggling on mule deer, I would, I would a hundred percent, You'd be like one of my top two. Ulmer would be probably, I'd probably be a group text like, Hey guys, I need to kill this buck. Here's, you know, here's all the assets I have to tell you. What do you think the play is? Um, I trust you that much when it comes to mule deer for sure. And honestly, in other things too. I know, you know, bears and elk, you're, you're an assassin. But what do you think is the biggest mistake? people make mule deer hunting? I'm moving too fast generally. Or not not learning how to
1: class. (laughs) I I would
0: put both of those very, very
1: high. Walking around and trying to kill a mule deer if you don't already know where he is is pretty tough, especially with a bow. Um, so learning how to glass and how to grid a hillside and actually set there on and and you know when we go out to Nevada, I love hunting Nevada, um, but you know the deer density in a lot of places isn't real high, but there's some really good bucks you know it's not uncommon to look at the same hillside for two hours mm-hmm. three hours um you know and especially with with if you're hunting the big ones that those older class four five six-year-old bucks um, because when they get to that age class, they change. They're all like White whitetail do the same thing. Yeah. But um, those, those big, big mature deer, um, when they get to a certain age, that's why you always see that lower age class. You go mule their hunt and you see all kinds of, you know, they might be nice bucks, they're 140, 150-inch bucks but um the, those big ones even though they're there they're, you just don't see them and because they'll go nocturnal a lot like a whitetail will um you know if you're hunting the open country i find more big huge milder country in the open country right about 11 12 o'clock in the day because that you know that sun comes around and they and you know i like to hunt them in august so it's hot
0: and sun you know they'll get yellow. up and
1: change yeah, yeah and it's... they may want to stay in the shade um you know um uh, I like hunting them when they're in the velvet because again, they're a lot more predictable. As soon as they rake those horns, it's, uh, they're a different game once again. Yeah. So, um, you know, so those are the things, but, uh, as far as when you're trying to, to get in close to a meal deer, most people push it too fast. You've got to be, I mean, patience is is an understatement. You've got to be like I say, I mean, you've got to be ready to sit on that deer for six hours mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever it takes, you know, and most people and he, Years ago, you know, my dad taught me all this stuff. There was a place called Heart Mountain here in Oregon. It's a, it's actually a refuge. And back in the '70s and '80s, there's, I've never been any place like it. Um, at, at that time, it was nothing to see eight or 10 30 thirty-inch bucks every morning, at
0: least God.
1: out of, out of, you know, maybe fifty or sixty bucks.
0: Oh, right. I mean, it was, God. it was,
1: it was just heaven, honestly. Yeah.
0: Sounds like Peace River in its heyday
1: it was it it was unbelievable i've never seen anything like it and i've been looking for it ever since but i've never found, found anything that's even close but um you know, back in those days, you know, that dad and mom and, and we had some good friends uh as well that kind of got dad, and mom, and archery. And uh but they would all well, shoot recurves, and you know, they'd sneak up on these big bedded bucks and instead of waiting for him to stand up, they would like throw a rock or you know, I'll never forget my dad yelling, Hey Buck and that was his thing, Hey Buck, well guess what well, guess what what happens when you yell hey buck? <laughs> <laughs> you better be a good running shot. So and they actually killed a few deer back then, you know, but I, I it's like gosh, I can only dream about a place like that now with the, you know, the knowledge and stuff that we have. But uh, again, I mean, they just there wasn't any patience they, you know, you've got to have patience. And I mean, you've got to, when you're moving in, you've got to make sure that you pick every spot your foot goes and make sure it doesn't make a noise. Cause one little thing, man, especially when you're close one little thing and it's all. It's and
0: all you t- got to think how big their ears are. Their ears are double yeah. the size of a white tail. So mm-hmm. even though, some people think mule deer are dumber. I don't. I don't think they're dumber. I think, I think they have different types of threats, and I think mule deer, you know, they're in the open a lot more. I think, you know, I think their season's shorter too. So I think just naturally their hunting pressure is a little bit less and in, less intense. But they're, you know, they definitely can hear as good as an elk. I mean, they've got well, and, big freaking ears that gather a lot of information.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, if you're trying to stalk a bedded white Whitetail, you'd have the same problems, you know, because if something's laying still, Everything they notice, everything mm-hmm. you know, and and I mean, I've seen deer through spotting scopes. I've watched deer while people were spotting, them, you know, stalking them, and they literally laying their head down sideways, like they look like they're dead laying there, they're sound sound asleep, and the, the the person stalking them makes one little click, and I mean, all of a sudden it's just bang. I mean, they're like this, and then the next thing, usually, it's you know, they're gone. Yeah. So um, that's, you know, that's the worst the feeling
0: is... when that when that rack just swings, and all you can oh, see yeah. is the forks just turn your way. You're like, oh. I'm done. Well, you,
1: you, yeah you know what's coming <laughs> <laughs> you can be at full draw and, and like I said if you're close enough you can get a snapshot but that's about it but that's the kind of stuff dad and mom used to do all the time with the hay buck deal all the horns would boom and then boom you know? <laughs> but uh, I, I'd love to I'd love to hunt a place like that was back then it was just it was crazy but anyway but it was a great place to learn a lot about mule deer and even in those days those big bucks would be on the ground by daylight if you saw them you, you had literally 20 to 30 minutes of of actual visible light if you didn't find one of them big bucks in the first 20 or 30 minutes you're gonna have to find him in the middle of the day when he's changing beds even then and those were the days when you know there wasn't a lot of people hunting them and you know there was no gun hunting at that time at all there. So it was just archery and just recurse mostly. So, you know, the escape, the escapement was pretty high, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but even, even in those days, and that's what I, what I really learned that those deer, they're, they're, they're almost a different animal when they get to be that age. They really are. So, and, and I can say the same thing about whitetail. I'm not an expert on those, but what I've seen about them is about the same thing. When they get that age, they just, they're a different animal. You
0: know? Yeah, I agree. I think anything six or older, becomes a different level of elite
1: yeah yeah
0: what i found on mule deer is 100 percent patience like you said but a lot of times i've i've been proven wrong almost every time trying to know where a mule deer is going when they first get up out of their bed and then you're yeah. like oh he's going here like in the morning when you find them as much as you want to you know, oh, they're out there in that alfalfa. I'm just going to get to the corner of this post and I'll wait for them to like. If you see them in the morning, the best thing you can do is bed them down. Like mm-hmm. you have You're to sorry. be patient enough to bed them down, because now you have time and terrain on your side. Yeah. Or, well, oh. I mean, you might not, but yeah. at least well, at least you have this- planning. You have time to plan that navigation. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Most of the time there's not a good way to predict what they're going to do when they stand up. So the only thing you can do is be as close as you can possibly be when he does,
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. that's really all you can do.
1: Um, you know, if, if you're, and, and, you know, one of the reasons I like hunting them in the velvet is they are more predictable. They're are They don't range as much. So, and, and you'll find deer will be in the same area year after year after year as well. Um, so, that little time you know uh, usually it's right the end of august before they rub their horns they're fully grown you know everything's i mean you've got all the horn growth you're gonna get but it's before they rub their horns they're still fairly predictable and they're in, usually in bachelor groups or by themselves a lot of times so great babies will be by themselves if you're lucky but um you know like i said it's it's uh it's a really good time once they rub their horns then it's a whole nother a whole nother unpredictability um because they're not you know a, a mule buck doesn't necessarily live in one on one hillside his whole life. I mean, he might travel 50, 60 miles, maybe more than that. Yeah. You know, so, so the predictability really goes out the window once they rub their horns and and uh, that's, that's a whole nother, whole nother level of, of, you know, hard. hard. So like I said, the whole key is to be as close as you can possibly be when they get up and hopefully they will get up where you can get a shot at, you know?
0: So, okay. Next question is going to be, what do you think, the number one mistake is for new elk hunters? Um, probably blowing a call too much, <laughs> you know, if they watch a lot of videos
1: and I, and look, I'm a, I, I love elk hunting and I, and I, I shot my 48th one with a bow in, in Montana, that was number 48. And if you look around, i show you around. We've got plenty, but, um, back in the eighties, alcohol was a lot easier because nobody <laughs> did it. Um, and I mean, you know, we, I was one of the first ones around, uh, you know, I, again, I knew some some of the old timers that were playing with Turkey call diaphragms and stuff like that. And I can tell you when, when, when we first learned how to do a cow call, it was like yeah, I mean, my God! I thought we had the magic bullet up forever. What <laughs> we well, did, what well, we did at that time, yeah. and and we'd call in bulls, and that was before rangefinders. We'd miss them, and you know all <laughs> kinds of stuff. But uh, you know, back in the in the '80s and the '90s, I mean, we'd call in twenty, thirty bulls a year um, here where I live here in Oregon. Um, now, I, to be honest, honestly, I, I learned two things. Number one, if you want to kill a big one, you probably want to leave your call in your pocket ninety percent of the time. Yeah. Uh, because a couple of reasons, number one, that that big one, he's heard it all, number one, and he's usually with a bunch of cows and, and calling a big bull away from cows outside of if you can get in the bedroom with them, which... I do occasionally, but not very often, because there's way too much can go wrong. And once you move them out of the bedroom, they're going to find a new one and it won't be anywhere close to where it is now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Um, so you know, that's the thing is, is um, you know, you can get get them away from the cows if they're you know, right in the middle of the day sometimes. But like I said, it's a touchy deal because you've got to get in pretty close. Um, outside of that, the calls are, you know, I mean, it's it's cool to call and have them you go back at you and all that. And you can still call in little bulls, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, you know, two, three year old bulls, they're, they're still gullible enough to get in sometimes, but by and large, that's what most new bow hunters, they, they go out there and they buy a whatever call, a, you know, a hoochie mama or whatever. And that's what they walk around the woods and that's what they're doing. And I promise you, they don't sound like an elk because an elk can know. <laughs> you know you can be the best caller in the world. And an elk will still know that you're not, you know, unless he's got any experience at all. But, uh, you know, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes, honestly. Um, the other one probably is is not is, and this kind of comes down to shot uh, more than anything else. they elk are an awful big animal, and they take an awful lot to put down. And so, taking those marginal, you know, angle shots or longer than you should be shooting, and that kind of stuff—that's another big mistake I see a lot of guys do. Um, you know, they they just want to get an arrow in them somewhere. Well, that doesn't really work with anything very well. But it really don't work with
0: at all. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So they, they can take beast. a lot. Yeah, yeah. they are beasts. Yeah, it's funny with the the big ones, um, like that one that I talked about earlier in Utah. You know, that bull bull actually bugled um, into that piece of timber. Even in late August, he, like, screamed into that piece of timber twice just to see if anything would talk back. Because, honestly, I don't think he would have went in there if anything else was there. I think he was just like, am I alone? And then yeah, he's like, yeah. okay, yeah, I am alone. Because he pro- he approached it downwind. He, like, got on the down draft side of the whole thing. He skirted it. He's like, is anything in this hole? I mean, he really yeah. checked it out. And then he yelled in there, and nothing talked back. So, he's just like, okay, I'm good to go. Yeah. But A bull of that age, he was probably yelling in there to warn anything
1: that that was in there, they better get the hell out. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they get that attitude when they get that age. They really do. Um, and the other time, late in the rut, that, it kind of post rut, and actually my Montana hunt was that way this year. Um, you know, it was in on, oh gosh, like the first week of October, and the rut was really paring down pretty hard. And we actually were, uh, I, I showed up in camp uh, real late at night, so I didn't even get up. I got up and shot my bow and did all, you know, rather than trying to push it. Yeah. Um, and we got in the ranger and took out from camp uh, about 11 o'clock and it's real steep there so we went up this hog back and just happened that there was a bull laying in the edge of the road he bedded right in the edge of this whole road and we saw him get up and he dove off into this just thick north slope stuff just Mm -hmm. super nasty thick stuff well, we just went on, went past, and went on, on up, and was looking around. And and uh, when I got back around, I could look, and I was seeing the side of that hill. And there was a big rock slide, probably a hundred yards long, you know, wide. And gosh, it went to almost the whole dip, the whole length of this ridge. And it was about two hundred yards under the top of this this mountain where this bull was. So it's like you know, we didn't push that bull. He, there's no way he went across and dove off and that you know, past that rock side. So I kind of knew we had him sort of you know. You kind of cornered up there a little bit. So, my guide, I think, thought I was kind of full of crap. But anyway, I said, hey, we're going to k- go kill that bull. And he goes, yeah, okay. Because, I mean, it's just dog hair thick. It's like this. Yeah. So, um, but again, I knew that at that time of the year that a lot of those bulls had pulled off, They pull off away. And they, that's what they want. They want to be by themselves. They've been, they've been beaten up on all throughout the rut and everything else. And they just want to be by themselves. So, um, you know, and I've been in this situation quite a few times. So, I just have a set of raking horns. So, I just go up. And about every 50 yards, I, you know, rake and rake and rake. And it's so thick. And there's three of us. is myself, my guy, and the camera guy. And there's no way we're going to get through this quiet anyway, right? So we just kind of pick our way through there you know just not not fast but you know just kind of how an elk would walk right and just rub horns and rub horns and anyway we get almost to the top and this one is kind of a crazy one that i would have never predicted but i'm actually raking my horns up and down you know and making all kinds of racket and i'm looking right in front of me and i see this movement and i see what it, what it was and i see a, there was a whitetail buck i mean it's a giant freaking white to at twenty yards, laying there looking at us. He watched me rake the horns and everything. Finally, he just gets up and walks off. So I had one little, one little narrow slot. I'm at full draw, hoping he'd come through. Well, he didn't come through there, and I'm thinking, oh, crap. I mean, he was a gigantic freaking buck right <laughs> now i have a deer tag in my pocket of course but anyway uh we went about another hundred yards and on the next rake that bull I, I see something moving in front of me and then i hear him and he just starts tearing this tree up and he's no more than 20 yards and you can't all you can just see is a time once in a while this back and forth so he just sat there and and uh probably did that for 10 minutes just tore this tree all the hell never bugled never nothing you know but he but he knew that i was there and i, I just kind of took a horn and just sort of you know kind of the same thing not really making a lot of noise just kind of get trying to give him a little bit of a visual and sure enough we sat there and pretty quick here he comes i was hoping he was going to come cross broadside but he doesn't come walking right
0: straight in yeah, you know yeah, sure. and
1: uh, at about 10 yards he was quartering hard to me he wasn't straight on me, he was quartering to me and uh I mean, it's the only shot I'm going to get and at 10 yards. I mean, it's not, I usually, I'm usually not a big advocate of head on shots personally, but i don't know. But, but I took it. And uh, anyway, it actually ended up, it wasn't great because it broke that shoulder, completely broke that shoulder. And then it went in and then we tracked him over the hill and actually he didn't go very far. I had to get down and shoot him one more time, but it, you know, it, it messed him up pretty good. But, uh, but that was, uh, that was a cool call in because it really was, we, we, I, I never really even used my diaphragm at all. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, it's just, it was just because it, but that's that time of year after that rut's over, those elk don't want to be around nobody else. And last, and, and they'll defend that, that betting area, you know, so anyway, yeah. that's the, the, tech tip I probably shouldn't be telling everybody, but they, you know,
0: it works good. Yeah. It, so, it, it when I'm in, I mean, when it, if, it's like anything, nothing works every time, but sometimes,
1: you know, you just got to have that bag of tricks.
0: Yeah. I, there's been times where I've had a bull hung up and, and I start going, you know, making a racket and people are looking at me like, what, why are you doing that? But because honestly, a big bull, if another big bull's is challenging him, it, it sounds like someone's taking a baseball bat to a mailbox, mailbox <laughs> post. Yeah. And when I've had a lot of mature bulls come in when I'm literally breaking a sweat, beating the tree with mm-hmm. as big of a limb or blow down as I can find. And they get really worked up and pit and they'll start, they'll start screaming at you too. And and if you mm-hmm. don't do it back, it makes them matter. Yes. It really wow. does.
1: What a lot of people don't realize is the most aggressive elk call in the woods is is horns horns on horns on brush. Yeah. The most aggressive thing you can do to a bull is rub your horns. At, rub antlers at him, rub sticks, whatever. I actually carry a set of horns, looking specifically for that reason. Um, I actually have had some luck with them too. You know, banging the horns together and doing the rattle thing. Ralph Ramos, a buddy of mine in, in New Mexico, uh, we hunted with him a couple of years ago. Caitlin did a tag down there, and I mean, he's it's it's insane the noise that he makes with those yeah. horns crashing together and everything else and um you know it's but it is it's you know you can have the nastiest raspiest bugle you want but it still isn't nearly as as uh as aggressive to that bull as just raking a horn and raking it aggressively because and once you get him to do it back he's yours baby is <laughs> yeah. you keep the rein right and she's straight yep. Yeah, <laughs> you know? so, so true
0: well mike it's been awesome uh turkey season opens for me this weekend so i'll be you know I'll be hexed up, It's a game cha- <laughs> It's a game changer for birds. Yeah, yeah, it's a game changer for birds. But um, it's always awesome to talk to you. I hope you get your levitate soon. I want to talk to you after you get that.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to get it. I'm going to Africa in July. I'm kind of kicking around, going after a buffalo, maybe. So, uh, um, kind it's of putting some arrows together. Yeah, I'm putting some arrows together. That one, uh, that levitate. If uh, if Lonnie's listening, I sh- could sure use that here pretty soon, buddy.
0: Come on, <laughs> but, Yeah.
1: Well, I, did, I I didn't order one as soon as I should have. I knew I should have ordered one sooner. And but I, I got to tell you, my mock has just been lights out. It's honestly the best bow I've ever shot. And so it's going to have to. That update's going to have to do a little bit
0: but I'm everybody says it will confident. I'm well, I have, confident i have no doubt you, you told me it would and uh, you've never lied to me yet, so i'm gonna
1: <laughs> i'm looking forward to getting and we'll run some big heavy arrows through it and who knows maybe we'll shoot a buffalo over in africa
0: i knew what was going to happen and honestly um when when psc was making the part numbers I ordered a ridiculous number of bows. I mean, you know, luckily it's not like charged at the time because Sharon would have been like, "What in the freak?" But I knew, I knew, like, I knew I was gonna want several, um, and I knew that, I knew that every friend that I have that comes here and goes to school, I knew all of them would want it. So I just. I ordered a pile and I'm still getting them in and I tried telling everybody like, listen, these things are made by hand. It's, it's a very time consuming process and they're, you know, there's just nothing, nothing that can be done about it. So they're going to be tough to get. And if you can get it, Go get it, like you know, yeah. know, I, well, I, uh, I kind of wish,
1: it, I kind of wish, and I would have had him send me too. But it's like you know, I, it, like I said, I, it'll be my number one. My mock will be my backup bow, and and I'll probably be okay. But uh, but yeah, no, it's I can't hardly wait to get it. I'm excited.
0: What poundage are you gonna take?
1: Um, I, I ordered it at 70 and they usually pop in a little heavier than that. To be honest with you, I can't really shoot much more weight with that. I, you know, that I had that shoulder issue for a long time and it's actually good now, but but I'm still, I, I don't want to pull any more weight than that. Um, yeah. Just, you know, I just, uh, I'll, I'll build the arrow to work. With, what with
0: color weight. are you going to get?
1: Um, you know what? I told him I didn't really care whatever he sent me. So
0: I might <laughs> well, have a 75 a pounder I can send you. If nothing else I should send you I should send you like the one that I used all last year. Yeah, yeah. I've got i I've got a um that's one of the perks is I, I get seventy five pound max limbs, Lonnie. Mm-hmm. Now now if Lonnie's listening, he's really gonna be <laughs> yeah the 70 the
1: 70 is probably enough for me anyway but um the other one is i kind of request are they doing the smaller cam yet because yeah. i'm a 28 and a half inch draw so i probably that smaller cam would be a little bit better
0: maybe it's As one it foot split. per second faster the the big cam is so efficient that the small cam is actually only one foot per second oh, really? faster ah. the difference is in the is in the draw cycle um mm-hmm the the draw cycle on the small cam is a little bit more aggressive um mm-hmm. but the truth is your wall is probably what you're going to want um with that with that number 2 cam but yeah we need to get you one it's it's a freaking game changer i mean just i mean i've never shot a sight scale so fast to be able mm-hmm. to have my you know, with a two pin sight to be able to have my top pin at 20 and my second pin at like 39 and a half. Oh, wow. Man. I mean,
1: yeah.
0: it, you know, when you've got that, well, dang, 20 to yeah. 50, I'm solid.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, you've always had that 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 uh, thirty-one or thirty-two inch draw <laughs> advantage, which makes a lot of difference too. But uh, yeah, I, I've always been uh, challenged with that. But uh, uh, but yeah, if it's only that much difference, I mean, I mean, because it was more difference on the mock because um, I have a big cam mock and a small cam mock, and it yeah. was like five or six feet on it.
0: Yeah. So the efficiency um, is just getting so maxed out now. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, one thing about it, they
1: are they're unbelievable. There's no doubt. So I can't wait to get it. <laughs>
0: Cool man. Well, have a good weekend and you know, make sure make sure any of you listening who haven't uh ever heard of Mike Slinkard, you should just Google him because he is one of my great friends. I mean, we've been friends I don't know. We've been we've been mutually, you know, respecting each other from a bow hunting world it has to be three decades well, at anyway. least at least yeah <laughs> so it's sad to say that isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's i have to say you know anything
1: three decades but you know hey when you get old i guess that's what you got
0: <laughs> I, well yeah i mean yeah i, I last year olmer mm-hmm. told me he said um he's like he's like You know, he said, "I always thought it'd be cool if someone called me an icon," but he's like, now when someone says that, he's like, I feel like I'm, I'm about dead. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It it feels like you It feels like you're (laughs) way past. Like once you make it to that, you're like, oh no, I don't have much time left.
1: Yeah. and if the truth was known, Randy was an
0: icon all along. For I, know. <laughs> I know, so awesome. Uh, he, and you know, he came. Uh, he came to Colorado. Him and Pellegrino and Doug O all came to Colorado Tack to shoot to shoot the oh, did with me. Nice, and that was super awesome last year. And then um, this past weekend, Bobby Ketcher came out. Did he really? Dude, I'll be darned. Yeah, you have seen Bobby in forever. I know. I I gave him the biggest hug, and 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 uh, he looks like Jerry Carter, dude. He's, Does he really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He look like he looks like Jerry in his like when Jerry was fifty. He's got like that same length sc- like goatee, right? And and the gray, and he's you know he. Jerry Carter has very like happy eyes, you know. Mm -hmm. Jerry, like you know, he always just looks like a really good person in his eyes, you know. And Bobby Mm -hmm. Ketcher has the same type of eyes, so it was it was pretty cool. (laughs) I'll have to send you a picture of us. It's you should. I haven't seen Bobby forever. That'd be cool. It was so fun. Yeah, I gave him the biggest hug, and he he said he's like, you know what? He goes. I, um, I have no drive at all to compete anymore. You know, I, I can't dedicate the time and, mm-hmm. you know, I know how good the guys are that do, which is where yeah. we were 20 years oh, yeah. ago. Right. And, yeah, it's uh, all the same guys that
1: were, that were kicking ass then or kicking ass still, you know, <laughs> in, in the old guy's class. I mean, man, it's pretty tight.
0: <laughs> yeah. Know? I found my first, uh, pro card the other day. I was like cleaning. I've been, I've been throwing out so much crap. I have uh, mine in my range and
1: it's, and it looks like a, it looks like an antique setting up on my, so it's, it's up on my, I forgot up on the wall of my range. And just so if people, people that come in and watch me shoot nowadays they say, man, why the hell did you have that car? <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: mine, um, my ASA number is 697. Is it? Yeah. I, think, I can't and, remember what and, mine is, uh, but and I shot up. I think I shot like a 206 or something, which back then, I mean, back oh, then yeah. if you were two to 10 up, you were leading, you were in a good shape. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, if you
1: were if you were over par, man, you were winning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: Signed by Alan Connor. Which oh, is, nice. Which is kind of cool. You know, got yeah. another. Got another. I'm going yeah. to. Alan's shooting again. Shooting good, though, nowadays.
1: I see Dude, him on. The, on yeah. Michael Braden.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. Connor. All yeah. of them are shooting really good. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. show you this picture of uh I'm gonna show you this picture of me and Bobby here quick on camera.
1: Oh no way! I'll be darn. He does look like Gary, doesn't he? I
0: told you he looks just <laughs> like him. He's, I'll yep. Be same same eyes, but uh, yeah, it's um. I, you guys make sure you look up Mike. Uh, you know, built the best string in the world obviously uh you know i'm a big believer in what he's doing right now with with hex and just been in the industry a long time friends friends with the best ones and i mean for those watching the video uh you can see he's he's shot a bunch of stuff but i think he's like me here, That's, here let's, let's go around
1: the room a little bit uh,
0: oh god Mike. <laughs> Oh, here, God. There's a and, oh There's red
1: stag and a few things in there. So yeah, we just redid the, we just redid my trophy room. So uh, I'm kind of actually kind of proud that there used to be a wall right where I'm sitting when my daughters were home. This was their play area. And one of our deals was when they left, we were gonna knock this wall out and redo it. And so, so yeah, I got uh, all my all my stuff down here now.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank dude. Plus, at
1: the office, at the office looks just like it, only <laughs> a little smaller. <laughs> so, but. Hey John, I appreciate it. Um, one of the neat things about archery is you get to know the best people. There's no doubt I it's agree. been a blessing, honestly, to be in it
0: this long. It really. Has. I agree. I agree. Well, cool, man. Have a good weekend and good luck uh, with your turkey season.
1: Oh yeah, just getting ready to start. <laughs> we can stay warm enough. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks Knock on much. everybody. See you later.
0: Be sure to check out KnockOnArchery.com for our full line of custom-designed products, as well as free in-depth education and bow hunting entertainment to help you shoot at your best.